Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. Welcome to part three of Reassembly Required. This is a four-part message series, and I apologize in advance that the first two uh, weren't posted. They uh, just—it wasn't legal. We didn't have legally have the rights to to, to uh, post them. This one we've got permission. So here we have it. In this message, we're going to look at the words of Jesus, and they're reminding us that uh, we don't always see ourselves in others clearly. Right, like when it comes to repairing broken relationships, there's got to be two willing parties in each person, and they've both got to be willing to take an honest look in the mirror and basically own their part in order for reconciliation to happen. So, with that, let's turn over to Pastor Nate with part three of Reassembly Required. This one is called Own My Slice. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back. If you have not been with us, we're in week three of a four-week message series from North Point Church called Reassembly Required, uh, a beginner's guide to repairing broken relationships. One of the things we've been saying each week of the series is that all of us know how to get in. We're in relationships. We know how to do that. But we're not always so confident as to what to do when the relationship is broken, And I think if we're honest uh, with ourselves and with one another, we know that relationships can be difficult. Who agrees with that statement? Yeah, they can be difficult. In fact, if I did a show of hands and asked everyone to say, hey, like, how many of you have been in a relationship? Every hand goes up. If I said, how many of you have been hurt, abandoned, betrayed, abused in a relationship? Every hand would go up. And if I asked you, How many of you actually did the abusing, the leaving, the hurting? Uh, If we're honest, most of us could put up our hands because when we're doing relationship, when we're doing life, whether it's work, family, marriage, friendship, when we're in relationships with others, two broken people, there's going to be difficulties. There's going to be heartaches and disappointments. What we're talking about through these four weeks is what do we do about it when that happens? Uh, one thing that I hope you believe is this, that re- reassembling a broken relationship is a learned skill. And if that's true, then there's hope for every one of us that we can actually become better at restoring and repairing broken relationships than we were last week. And, and if you believe this, then that's why this four-week message series is so helpful and important. It means that if we're willing to put in the work and if we're willing to grow in our love and in our understanding and wisdom, that we can actually get better at relationships. It is a learned skill. One thing I think is really important for us to note, our natural instincts when it comes to a broken relationships are not always the right ones. You know, instinct is, is a powerful thing, but sometimes it can steer us wrong. I've noticed in my own life that, that most of the times in my life, whenever there's a broken relationship, uh, I think these are two extremes of, of how we respond, okay, naturally to a relationship. I think on one side, one extreme, we have the fix-it people. Are you a fix-it person? I lean heavily towards the fix-it side of things. See, as a fix-it person, uh, whenever there's a conflict in my life, in a relationship, I want to fix it. And what that means is I'll usually approach it and say, let's deal with it. Let's talk about it. I don't care. Let's fight about it. Let's get a counselor. Let's do whatever we can to fix it. And if that's you, then chances are that you uh, might be tempted to use this C4 approach to relationship. You try to convince the other person, convict them, coerce them, control them to fix it, and you want to be in control. But there is another extreme that I mentioned, and that's the avoid it. Maybe 
you're listening today and you're an avoid it kind of person. An avoid it person says, you know what? I know this relationship isn't the way it ought to be, but maybe we can just deal with that later. I, I know you hurt me, but I'll just sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen. Now, again, this is another extreme and it, it seems gracious, but uh, you know, where this is the C4 and it blows everything up, this side over here tends to poison the water. Death by a thousand cuts. And so uh, maybe some of you over here, some of you over here, maybe you're watching, you're like, yeah, I'm kind of right in the middle, just like Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's me. You know, what we want to do is we don't want to succumb to these extremes. We want to learn how we can uh, move towards the other person, right? To get back to them and not back at them. Uh, for many of us, when we find ourselves in a broken relationship, we tend to, tend to start making excuses. And here's some of the things I've said. Uh, I don't care. I really don't care. It doesn't matter. And of course it matters because relationships matter. But we say, I don't care. We might say, I've already tried. I've already tried to repair the relationship with my father, with my brother, with my uncle, whatever it is. I've already tried that. Didn't work. I'm done. Or it wasn't my fault. This broken relationship has nothing to do with me. It's pretty much their problem. So I'm just going to wait for them to do something. And these are the excuses that we make when relationships are unhealthy instead of pursuing uh, the other person in order to see reconciliation take place. I want to share a little diagram here. I hope this makes sense, but I, I, I've done this little sort of teeter-totter. And this is what, this is a good image uh, for me of what a healthy relationship ought to look like. And, and there's balance and symmetry here. And you have person A, person B, these are uh, non-gendered people just representing anybody. It might be you and your mom. It might be two sisters. It might be work relationship. But in a healthy relationship, there's balance. There's trust. There's mutual respect. Things are, <clears throat> things are, things are in balance. I think you can understand uh, what that looks like. But what happens, of course, is when you're in a relationship, one person might break the trust of another by lying. Uh, someone might take something from the other person, whether it's something physical, you steal something, or whether you take uh, something uh, that doesn't belong to you. Or maybe you hurt or abuse the other person. This can be verbal, it can be emotional, it can be physical abuse. And what happens in that case is the relationship becomes unhealthy. And, and the way I like to think about this, and, and I hope it's helpful, is that this is the person over here, okay, uh, who has done the harming, okay? This is the offender, this is the offendee. Now, the reason why I scaled them this way is because this person who's harmed the other person actually owes something. You know, if, if I took $1,000 off your dresser, because you're the kind of person that might have $1,000 on your dresser, if I took that, I would owe you $1,000. So I've wronged you, and the balances are not, uh, the scale is not in balance until I were to repay that back to you. I got a little diagram to show you. In order to get us back to a healthy relationship, there's, there's something that needs to happen. The Bible actually calls this, I know this is a word we don't use a lot. The Bible calls it, and in judicial language, it's something called restitution. Now, restitution isn't a word we talk about a lot in church. We ought to. It's all over the Bible. Uh, but restitution means the act of making up for damages or harm. If I took your $1,000, what would I have to do? I would have to pay you that money back, and maybe even with interest or a penalty, in order to have any hope of, of restitution, of getting the relationship back to healthy. And the truth of the matter is, I might be able to pay you back that $1,000, and we're even financially, but maybe our trust scales are still tipped. And it might take me years. This is, by the way, the reason why trust is so important. 
Man, when you break trust, trust is like, trust is the economy of relationships. Man, when you break trust with somebody, it takes so long to build it back. So we want to be careful. But restitution is a biblical concept. In fact, in the book of Exodus, God gives the law of Moses to the nation of Israel, the Ten Commandments. And immediately following, he actually gives them restitution laws. And this meant if you harmed your neighbor... Here's how you pay it back. Here's how you write the scales. Uh, I'll give you this example. Uh, the book of Exodus, I think it's chapter 22, 23, talks about if you steal your neighbor's sheep and you slaughter it and you, you, know, you make mutton and you make shish kebabs and you, and you eat your neighbor's uh, sheep, what would you have to do to make restitution? You might think, well, you have to replace the sheep. And the answer is no, you have to replace it with four sheep. That's the cost of restitution. Which, by the way, in the New Testament, there's this, this story of Zacchaeus, right? The little tax collector who's up in the tree. And when he meets Jesus, his heart is transformed. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. I'm going to make right. And he says, if I've defrauded, if I've stolen from anyone with their taxes, I'm going to repay them. Guess what? Fourfold. Four sheep for everyone I stole. Zacchaeus is trying to make restitution. He's trying to make right to balance the scales uh, back to where they ought to be. Now, by the way, in the Old Testament, uh, what would happen is if you accidentally poked somebody's eye out, guess what they got to do? They got to take your eye out. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. This was restitution. Is like we need to even the scales. We need to make it make it fair. And somewhere in our culture and in our world, we've lost We've lost our understanding of this, you know, uh, when I was, I've shared this story before, but I want to share it again. When I was about 18 years old, uh, my parents co-signed for me to get a credit card. And uh, the purpose of this credit card was for me to be able to um, purchase a, a trailer for my horses so I could move them around. And I worked hard and I paid that off. And then my mom didn't want me to have a credit card at 18. So she cut it up and she called the credit card company and said, cancel his card. Well, a year goes by and I'm off at school and one day I go to the debit machine and I put and I try to take out 20 bucks and it says insufficient funds. I was out of cash. I was waiting for a paycheck and I'm standing there kind of dejected going, don't want to call my parents. And then I noticed that the bank machine, there was like debit and then there was like a credit button. And when I pushed it, I put $40 and money spit out and I thought, free money. This is amazing. And so I took this money. And over the next couple of months, I just kept $40, $60, $80, $100. I just kept withdrawing cash. I was having a grand old time, free money. And of course, uh, what ended up happening is the bank called my mom and said, hey, there's like $1,200, $1,200 on this credit card and nobody's made a payment. And my mom freaked out. She said, wait a minute. I cut up that card. I told you to cancel it. And they said, we're so sorry, ma'am. We're going to wipe the debt clean. It's done. And they got rid of it. Well, a week later, I came to visit my, my parents. And she was telling me about how somebody got my credit card number and ran up a bill. And I had to be honest. You know, I was training to be a pastor. I said, actually, mom, that was me. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm so glad to hear that they waived the debt and, and they paid it off. And she said, oh, no. And she called the credit card company and she said, put it all back. I was mad. I was not very happy about that. I had to work 685 an hour to pay off all of the money that I spent. And I learned a very valuable lesson. And here's the lesson. Somebody always pays. I want you to say, if you're sitting at home, I want you to say that with me. Somebody always pays. This is a hard lesson that my mom taught me. You owe it. You're going to pay it. 
and I had to pay it. I learned this lesson again and again and again. When I went into business, uh, when I was an employee, a mistake would be made. It was like, I'm so sorry. And the boss would say, ah, that's okay. It's all right. Try not to let it happen again. But when I became a boss and an owner and a manager, I realized when someone didn't pay the bill, I had to pay it. The owners had to pay. It came out of our pocket. Somebody always pays. Okay. This is, this is what we're calling restitution. Balancing the scales. If you ever taken accounting, there's something called a balance sheet. Okay. The debits, credits, money in, out, it all has to balance out. You, you can't just have money disappear. Somebody always pays. In fact, restitution and reconciliation are two major themes of the Bible. The Bible tells a story that mankind fell into sin and chose uh, to reject God. And because of it, we are destined for death and, and hell and rejection. But God, in his infinite mercy, was going to pay the bill for us. See, a lot of people think, religious people often think that we can make restitution. That, you know, if I go to church, if I'm a good person, then I'm going to balance the scales and make restitution. No, you're not. In fact, in the Old Testament, what they used to do is they used to bring sheep and oxen, and they would offer these sacrifices thinking that they were making restitution for their sin. In actual fact, all they were doing was making an interest payment. I'll never forget, I got my first mortgage. (laughs) I'll never forget that because it was like a thousand dollar a month payment. And at the end of the year, I got a statement from the bank and I thought, oh man, I've paid off $12,000 of my mortgage. And then I looked and almost all of that money was interest payment. I barely touched the principal amount. And that's exactly what happens here. So what does God do? God himself pays the debt to reconcile us to himself. Our sin doesn't just disappear into nowhere, friends. Our rejection of God isn't just like, oh yeah, we'll sweep that under the rug. God himself paid the debt. Second uh, Corinthians 5.18 says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He paid the debt and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. He continues and says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Instead, he counts our trespasses against Christ, his own son on the cross. And this is so important because not only did God reconcile us and pay the bill for us to be right with him, he entrusts to us the message of reconciliation. Why does this matter? Because I'm telling you guys, God wants you and I not only to receive his forgiveness and to be reconciled to him, but that we would go out and do this for others, that we would be people who would bring reconciliation to those around us. So quick recap, someone always pays. And here's the second point in my sermon. There's only three. Don't worry. Point number two, reconciliation requires two willing parties. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you're trying to fix a broken relationship, it requires two people who are both willing to move together. And honestly, you might be here today and you might say to me, um, you know, I've been trying to restore this relationship, but the other person's not willing. And I recognize that's the case, which is why our aim Our aim ought to be always to be in reconciliation with the other person, but we can't always control that because there's not always two willing parties, but our goal is no regrets. Our goal is that at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, we would be able to say, I did everything in my power to extend forgiveness. I did everything in my power to move towards the person, right? To get to them and not to get back at them. In reality, uh, whenever there's a conflict, so I'll, I'll use uh, my own marriage. Uh, for example, I've been married for uh, 23, 24 years to my lovely wife, Jessica. And whenever, whenever there's an issue in our relationship, and this will be true for you in your relationships, there's usually an offender and an offendee, right? The offender is the person who does the wrong. 
Who says the thing they shouldn't? Who takes what they shouldn't? Who, who harms the other person? The offendee is the person who receives the harm. Now, sometimes this is really clear cut, right? Like if you're walking down the street and someone mugs you and steals your wallet, I mean, I think that's, that's pretty clear who's the offender and who's the offendee, really clear. But when you're in a relationship and two people are involved and you're both saying things you shouldn't, often these lines get pretty blurry and it becomes difficult to assign blame. It's like, how much of this is, how much of this is my fault and how much of it is her fault? How much of the situation you're in is, is your fault and how much is your boss, your parents, the people you live with or work with? And so what we try to do is we naturally try to assign blame. Because remember, the scales have been tipped. The relationship is out of order and we want to get it back to balance. But in order to get it back to balance, we have to just figure out who's to blame and who owes what? So in my relationship with my wife, let's say uh, we start a conversation, right? I'll say, honey, something's wrong. What's going on? And I'll, I'll immediately uh, start to take my piece of the blame, <laughs> 10%. You know, honey, I'll admit, 10% of this issue that we're having right now is me, which essentially means that 90% is her. I know no one else would do this, but... Th- how it goes in my house. And, and then, you know, as the conversation progresses, perhaps, perhaps she would say, okay, yeah, I'll take my 10% of the slice of the blame pie. And I got my 10% and she's got her 10%. Here's the problem. 80% of the blame is still unaccounted for. Is the relationship back in balance? Can we move forward? Has reconciliation happened? Of course not. Someone has to own the rest of the pie. Now, one of the problems that happens is as we're navigating relationships and trying to restore them and repair them and work towards reconciliation, this is the situation we often find ourselves in, isn't it? And the difficulty is for us to see clearly our part in the whole situation. Because until we own what is ours to own, it is really hard to move forward in any relationship. I love what Jesus says. Jesus in Matthew 7 actually speaks to this. Right, speaks to our perspective when we're in conflict with others, when there's blame, when there's issues. He's like, let me, let me tell you uh, something. Matthew 7, verse 3, he says this. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? Now, I want to stop there for a second. Jesus says, hey, I've noticed that when you're looking at this person you're in conflict with, your sibling, the person you work with, your parent, your spouse, when you're looking at them, how is it that you see so clearly the smallest flaw, their small issue, how come you can see their issue so clearly? And our first instinct would be like, but their issue isn't small. It's not a speck. It's this huge thing. Now, do you know what they did? Do you have any idea, Jesus, what they said? Do you have any idea? I mean, they started it. Like, it's not a speck. Why are you calling it a speck? And, and, and Jesus says, no, no, no. Why is it that you, that you notice the smallest thing in their eye? Jesus is essentially asking us, why are you so focused on their part of the issue and so little on your own? He continues to say this, but, but you don't even notice the log that's in your own eye. And again, it would be like, man, Jesus, you don't understand. They're the problem. I mean, yeah, I got a little bit, little part. I got my little slice of the pie, but like they got like 80%, 90% of the problem is theirs. And Jesus like, how is it possible that you could be so focused on their issue while ignoring the scope and size of your own? I've noticed that we all have blind spots when it comes to our own 
issues, our struggles, our own failures. We excuse away the things that we do and we maximize and zoom in. We zoom in on the mistakes and issues of the people around us. Jesus is calling all of this to task. Maybe what I perceive over here to be this little percent of the pie. Sometimes if I'll continue to have conversations with my, with my wife and stuff starts to surface, maybe in the end it actually turns out that 90% of the issue is actually mine. That's often actually where it ends up, but that's, a, that's another message for another day. The point I'm trying to make is simply this. Jesus is like, man, if you could have the self-awareness and the humility to actually own your peace, whatever it is, This is going to be the first step towards moving towards reconciliation. He continues by saying this, another question. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Jesus is like, there is some serious pride and arrogance involved when we think that we can solve the problem in the person we're in conflict with. It's so easy to tell them what they ought to do while ignoring the thing that is so clearly to everyone else, the thing that we need to do. Jesus is like, how dare you do that? He continues and he says this. He says, you hypocrite. The hypocrite means an actor, a pretender. And, and I think all of us have a genuine disapproval for people who put on a show, who are acting and, 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 and pretending. And he says, first, first, take the log out of your own eye. Now, Jesus isn't saying, leave everybody alone. Doesn't matter what everyone else does. Doesn't matter about the other side of the blame pie. What Jesus is actually saying is the first thing you and I need to do is take a look in the mirror. The first thing we need to do is exercise humility. Uh, One of the prayers that we learned last week that we can pray is that, God, would you show me my part in this? And, And that's a dangerous prayer because we think this is our slice. And all of a sudden, God reveals that maybe the slice of the pie is bigger than we at first thought and it isn't until we own our peace that we can offer any any help to the other person and then he says after you've addressed yourself then you may be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye so in order for reconciliation to happen if two people are in conflict each person has to take a close look at themselves with humility and self-awareness to understand their part to own their slice of the pie and that leads me to my my third and, and, and final point is this, that self-awareness paves the way. Self-righteousness blocks the way. But self-awareness paves the way. When we can truly see ourselves, not as we think we are, but as we truly are, when we truly understand and own our slice of the pie, then and only then can reconciliation begin uh, to move forward in our lives. Here are a couple of keys uh, to reconciliation that we've been talking about. Somebody always pays, all right? And here, and can I just speak for a second? Someone always pays. I've noticed that if, if my wife and I are unwilling to reconcile, it creates tension in our home. And our kids feel it. And the people we work with at the office feel it. And maybe it impacts the church if we're not good. And the same is true. You know, you might say, well, you know what? I, me and my father, we just don't get along and I'm estranged and that relationship is not, I've tried, I'm not, I'm not even going to try anymore to, but what might happen is you might actually be harming your kids and now they have no relationship with their grandfather. You understand the point is every single one of us has paid the price because our parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, foster parents were unwilling 
to pay the price that ended up landing on us. I think so many of us have paid the price because others were unwilling to do so. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that kind of person. So someone always has to pay, requires two willing parties, and self-awareness paves the way. Now, there are some, some reassembly decisions. Last week, we started with one. Uh, let's just recap quickly. Here was the decision we talked about last week. I'm going to get back to, not get back at, okay? Something incredible happens when you and I decide that the relationship is more important than revenge. That fixing it is actually more important than being right. That us, you and me, in this relationship, being right is actually more important than me being right. Something powerful happens when we decide to get back to, when we make the relationship the focus rather than winning. And secondly, and this is what we've been talking about today, I'm going to own my slice of the blame pie. And as we go from this place today, as we go on with our week, I'm, I'm sure that in all of our lives, there's some area in which we have not been owning our piece of the pie. And maybe the prayer and the work to be done this week is to say, God, would you show me the piece that I am to own? And I've noticed that in relationship, when you're, when you're in a relationship with somebody, when there's tension, when things aren't working right, uh, again, the relationship is out of balance. And, and there are sort of two sides to reconciliation. On this side, actually over here, on this side, there is repentance. Again, repentance is something we don't talk enough about in church. Repentance is the act of saying, I'm sorry. And repentance also, also is tied to this idea of trying to make it right, to do whatever we can to, to make it right, to pay back what is owed. But forgiveness, forgiveness and repentance work together because if these two, if this person harmed this person, then this person needs to truly and authentically repent and this person needs to truly and authentically forgive. And only when both of those things are are, are present and in operation. It is then and only then that true reconciliation takes place. Here's a, here's a couple of quick statements that I think will be helpful in this regard. True repentance will always be accompanied by a willingness to repay what is owing. To repay what is owing. Now again, in church, we often talk about repentance and we think it's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry is great. But there should also be a willingness to repay what is owing, if at all possible. I'll tell you a quick story about this. Uh, as I said to you before, uh, somebody always pays. Uh, when my kids were little, one of my daughters riding a bike at camp. And I always told the kids, I'm like, don't ride your bike near cars. Just stay away from the cars. And my daughter's riding her bike. And uh, she's driving too close to a car on her bike. And she loses her balance and scrapes a brand new car with the side of her handlebar. And she comes back to the trailer in tears. I'm so sorry, Dad. And the guy comes over and wants to talk to me because guess what? She can't pay. But somebody has to pay and that person's me. And you know, if my daughter had been like, I'm sorry, Dad. And then turned to the guy and said, talk to my dad. He'll pay for it. That would not have exhibited true repentance. Of course, she was like, I'll take, I'll take money out of, my, out, of my, uh, you know, out of my allowance and I'll sell some stuff and I'll, and I'll help pay for it. There was a willingness to repay what is owing, even though she couldn't. And the truth of the matter is that's exactly where each and every one of us stands with God. We, when we come with true repentance, and this is a key, when we come before God and say, God, I know I've wronged you. I know I've wronged others. I've sinned. I've fallen short. And I know there's nothing I can do to pay. But if there was anything I could do, I would do it because I am so sorry. And when we come with a willingness to repay what's owing, God says, you know what? I'm going to cover that debt because you can't. 
That's his grace. And that's his, that is the gospel. But guess what? The other side of the coin is forgiveness. And this is what God does for us. Forgiveness will always be accompanied with a willingness to release the debt. You can tell somebody, I forgive you, and still hold the debt over them. You owe me. You did wrong to me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to forget it. So you can hold it against them. But what happens is because, because, let me go back to my, my last slide, because there is this relationship is out of balance. In order for us to get here, if the person on this side who's repenting cannot repay, then guess who has to pay? The person doing the forgiveness. Now, you can forgive somebody without reconciling the relationship. You can truly repent without reconciling. But if you want to reconcile and restore the relationship, you need both. True repentance. True repentance will always be accompanied by a willingness to repay what is owing. And true forgiveness will always be accompanied by a willingness to to release the debt. And this is what God did for us. He released our debt that we couldn't pay. And he invites us to become ministers of reconciliation. He invites you and me not only just to receive his forgiveness, but to be willing to pay the cost to forgive others. And it begins with repentance. It begins with us coming to God and saying, God, I receive what you've done for me. And and I would pay if I could, but I can't. And there's a willingness. And then we receive his forgiveness And Jesus actually says that we go out and forgive others, that we go out and repent, that we actually live out of what Christ has done for us. Hey, as we continue this message series next week, we're going to talk about some practical tools. And one of the things we're going to talk about is when a relationship is out of balance. And here's the question. Who makes the first move? This person, this person. Right, because so many of us, we have broken relationships and we're like, who should it be? Who should, is it my responsibility? Is it theirs? Well, they hurt me. They should go first. And we get into this waiting game. And next week, as we close out the series, we're going to talk about who goes first and how to get started on this journey of reconciliation. So with that, would you join me as we pray and close? Heavenly Father, thank you for every person listening today. And I know from talking to so many of the people in our church family that there are broken relationships all around. And there's not one person in this place who hasn't been hurt by or hurt others. And reconciliation is hard. And sometimes, God, it would be easier to sweep it under the rug. Or sometimes we want to take control and coerce to try to fix it. But God, I pray that we would have hearts that are humble. That we would take the forgiveness and love you've shown us and move in the direction of those who we have offended or have offended us. God, that as we reconcile with one another... We would see your spirit and your grace flow in our lives. That as the body would be joined together in love, the church would grow. That we would be willing to pay and release the debts of others so that our kids, grandkids, friends, family, and community don't have to pay the debt that we're unwilling to deal with. So God, help us to move in the direction of others. Help us to to move towards reconciliation. Even though it's hard, God, I know that your grace is, it abounds and strengthens us as we move in this direction. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world, and we feel so blessed that we get to be a part of what He is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.